Book Two, Chapter Seven of Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James K. White. Toussaint L'Ouverture, A Biography and Autobiography by John Relly Baird. Book Two, Chapter Seven shattered condition of the french army dark prospects of toussaint leclerc opens negotiations for peace wins over christophe and dessalines offers to recognize toussaint as governor-general receives his submission on condition of preserving universal freedom l'ouverture in the quiet of his home dearly had the reduction of creta pierrot been bought by the french the loss deeply afflicted the captain-general who induced his subordinates to make it appear as slight as possible remembering the contemptuous terms in which he had spoken of toussaint and his forces and well dreading the moral effect on the inhabitants of the island after the capture of this stronghold leclerc took measures for re-establishing his communications he ordered rochambeau's division to open them by forming a junction at gonaive and de Fourneaux and directed hardy with his forces to make for the cape the latter division were compelled to form for themselves a road with their arms in their hands under the impression that the invaders had suffered a total defeat hardy had with him only bands of fugitives who hastened to the cape in order to fly by sea from the island while on the whole line of his march he encountered opposition from regular troops or armed laborers but for the courage of the soldiers who were kept under discipline and the judgment and energy of the commanders the whole division would have perished from four to five hundred men were lost on the route while the divisions of rochambeau and hardy proceeded toward the north that of boudet under the command of general lacroix was commanded to return to saint marc in order to attack belair who up to that time had remained in observation on the heights of Mathieu, which stand to the southeast of that post between it and mont caos we give a report of the undertaking in the words of its leader we climbed the heights by the sources of mont i had often heard speak of a carabined road but i was i avow far from forming an idea of the obstacles which i had to overcome in order to open the carabine road of mathieu yet was i expert in work of the kind having a year before opened the passage of splugen in the memorable campaign of the army of reserve i had also traced round fort bard routes on peaked mountains declared impassable i had conveyed cannon by those roads thus executing an enterprise till then regarded as impossible that path round fort bard threw down the barrier which stood against the fortune of the first consul by that road the army of reserve gained the plains of piedmont and reconquered italy on the field of marengo precipices and road accidents are everywhere the same but in the alps the bushwood is at least accessible and the trees are of a determinate height while in america the former are fine mountains and the latter colossal masses which you can scarcely take in in one view and which you can displace only by strength of arm and length of time I doubt whether I could have been able to gain the plateau of Mathieu 
if Belair had added the efforts of his resistance to the obstacles of the locality in which he was. After the most fatiguing march, I at last arrived at Mathieu. Belair had quitted the plain the previous evening to join Dessalines on Montcaus. I wrote to him, suggesting that he should imitate the examples of Generals Clairvaux, Paul Louverture, and Maurepas, and announcing that I was authorized by the Captain-General to guarantee to him, and to his officers, their military rank. He answered that he blindly followed the authority of Toussaint Louverture, recognized governor for life by the constitution of the colony, and by his numberless services which France seemed disposed to disown. The lofty position of Mathieu presented to us the aspect of the Champagne lands of France. We there found its atmosphere. The lungs of our soldiers dilated. We were agile. On the contrary, the blacks whom we had as auxiliaries wore a shrunk appearance. In the different gorges of the mountain we delivered from five to six hundred persons who had fled thither from Saint-Marc and the neighboring lands. Hardy and Rochambeau had set at large a thousand fugitives in Mont-Caos. I collected on Mathieu a large number of horses, mules, and horned cattle, which Belair had got together. Two days after, I began to march toward Port-au-Prince. A letter was brought me from General Boudet, who, directing me to conduct his division to that city, requested that I would make a processional entrance into it, and that in so doing I should make the troops appear as numerous as possible, in order to efface from the minds of the men of color in the West the impressions they had received as to the extent of our loss. I put the troops into two ranks. Our sections marched at great distances. All our officers were on horseback. Artillery ready for the field was sent to meet me. I distributed it in the column with the baggage, and our entrance produced the moral effect which we expected. Footnote. Memoir pour sévir l'histoire de la Révolution etc. Volume 2, page 172, sequential. End of footnote. Nothing can more clearly show the valorous resistance made by Toussaint Louverture than the frank confessions made by this respectable writer of the disorganized and weakened condition of the French troops after the capture of Creta Pierrot. Scarcely able to keep the field or effect a retrograde movement, the decimated and shattered armies of Leclerc could not be allowed, except when tricked out in this fashion, to return to the capital of the island. What impudence, then, was that which described the great African leader as a mere chief of banditti, and what did that leader want but the support of some European power, friendly to human freedom, in order to establish on a permanent basis that constitution which had been so wisely constructed, and that liberty which had been purchased at so large a price, and of which the Haitian negroes had proved themselves so worthy. Alas, such a friendly power did not exist. England and the United States were both committed to the support of slavery, and the great war of the African world had to be fought out by Toussaint alone. Well was the conflict sustained, and though the immediate result was adverse, the strife, we trust, will not have to be renewed. If the plains, the mountains, and the ravines of San Domingo say nothing effectually on behalf of Negro rights, 
surely they cry with so loud a voice declaring the horrors of a war of bloods that even fear will suffice to break the bonds of the slave from the ruins and carnage of creta pierrot l'ouverture hastened to the recesses of mont caos whither he had ordered the brave defenders of that post to follow him they as well as he needed a few days repose and there where he had for some time formerly dwelt he met his wife and family and in their society enjoyed a short tranquillity of this brief leisure he availed himself to write to bonaparte in order to explain to him the conduct of general leclerc and to ask him to send another to take his place into whose hands he might resign the command of the island this was an hour for calm reflection toussaint l'ouverture did not let slip thoughtful by nature he now by the force of circumstances was drawn to the consideration of his past career and his present position he had effected much at one time he thought he had achieved the permanent freedom of his color but alas the constitution had not been ratified in defense of that solemn national act he had not only again and again risked his life and nearly forfeited all he possessed but he had given many a severe lesson to its assailants and taught them to respect and fear a man whom they disgracefully attempted to enslave yet amid these triumphs the final success of his undertaking seemed now to recede into distant mists the present was dark and gloomy leclerc with shattered forces was still strong and should the army now under his command be annihilated it could easily be replaced by the inexhaustible resources of france yet so long as he himself lived he was bound to labor in the sacred cause he had undertaken with the past full in his view he could not despair anyway it is for man to deserve as it is for god to give success instead of sinking beneath his sense of the great loss suffered by the destruction of creta pierrot toussaint after a brief interval resumed hostile operations with an active energy not surpassed even in his days of triumph he had indeed disappeared from the view of his foes but it was only to deceive them by false and rapid marches to prepare ambuscades to harass them on their flanks and in the rear to make them sink under the fatigue hunger thirst and want of sleep he compelled them to undergo now he covered his flight by deserts and by flames to make their victory more baneful than ordinary defeat now he waited for his prey in a defile always doing much by the force of his genius to carry the warfare beyond all acknowledged rules christophe in the north the saline in the west supported his adroit and rapid movements at the sound of the church bells he sent forth from the pulpit a manly and magical eloquence which painted to the eye and impressed on the heart the horrors of servitude and the delights of liberty and preached a religion which acknowledging all men as brothers disclaimed and condemned slavery and made his soldiers feel that in fighting for freedom they fought on the side of god and christ his sermon over he resumed the soldier and the general disappeared flew reappeared and seemed almost as if he possessed a species of omnipresence all the time he had an army at his command though where they were or what the number and resources of his troops was hidden to all but himself and a chosen few while by means as sure as they were hidden he learnt all that took place among his assailants 
moved by his authority his spies and scouts now in appearance blind deaf lame and now beggars or fugitives made light of toil peril and torture in a service which religion as well as civil obedience seemed to them to exact the different bodies of the french army who believed toussaint ruined if not dead felt his blows on every side as they returned to the cape or to port-au-prince he disturbed them beat them worried them alike in their communications in their attacks in their marches in their retreat everywhere he carried alarm and dread when the soldiers entered the cape toussaint appeared in its suburbs the city required both walls and defenders the blacks if they appeared to be friends proved to be enemies in reality with all dispatch leclerc raised anew the fortifications of a town in which more than ever the party of servitude and the party of liberty disputed and contended in that war no man knew his neighbor you lived side by side with your enemy you slept under the same roof you ate at the same table with him and yet you knew him not for there were blacks on the side of the consul and there were whites on the side of toussaint at length arms were taken up the ships supplied cannon and the sailor was brought on shore to fight only the more vigor did toussaint put forth and the city was about to become his prey when fresh troops arrived from france and the black hero thought it prudent to retire the position of leclerc had become one of extreme difficulty by painful experience he had learned with what singular enemies he had to contend of what use was it to continue a war in which victories cost so much and were so readily effaced by reverses already had he lost five thousand men in battle a like number sick or wounded were in the hospitals besides the war offered no reward what glory was there even in totally subjugating semi-barbarian blacks conquest instead of enriching the soldier only carried him into burning towns or desert mountains the army murmured the climate was intolerable the work they had to perform was repulsive the consul they said has sent us here to perish companions though we are of his achievements and sharers in his glory these and similar complaints which reached the ears of the captain of the expedition occasioned him lively disquietude the rather because his army was attacked by a malady which bad as it was threatened to become more deadly and although he expected fresh troops scarcely would all suffice to keep the population in order to say nothing of the exigencies of war he had it is true many blacks under his banners but could he count on their fidelity did he not know that their chiefs who showed the most zeal and devotion were wrapped in impenetrable dissimulation and that he kept them obedient only by reiterated promises of liberty the people of color appeared to him more devoted but had they not in preceding wars passed now into the party of the whites and now into that of the blacks as much from the inconstancy as for the sake of liberty the barbarous chiefs however who were his enemies gave him most concern christophe filled with prowess and intrepidity de salinet that savage achilles of unequalled courage and fury toussaint who by his prolific genius was capable of everything who escaped only to reappear 
who everywhere caused foes to spring up under the feet of his army, as if they were born of the mountains. Reflecting on these things, counting his losses, surveying his disappointments, measuring his enemies, calculating his difficulties and forecasting his prospects, Leclerc came to the determination that he should act wisely if he tried what could be done in the way of negotiation. Should the attempt fail, he would have gained time. Should it succeed, he would have put an end to a doubtful and disastrous war. Among the heads of the hostile army, Christophe had shown the least aversion to accommodation. With him, Leclerc commenced his negotiations. He intimated to Christophe that, as the mother country would unquestionably give legal confirmation to the abolition of servitude, the war was useless and without an object, and that the sole obstacle to peace being the ambition of Toussaint, he would arrange with him in order to arrest that chief in the most secret manner possible. Instead of becoming the instrument of that perfidy, Christophe replied in language and tones of virtue, saying that to arrest his friend, his companion, his chief, would be to betray at once friendship and honor, as well as his country, and that a treason so disgraceful could not for a moment be entertained by him. He ended his letter with these words, Show us the laws which guarantee our liberty. Then Toussaint, my brethren, myself, all of us, will with joy throw ourselves into the arms of our mother country. How could we believe the consul's words, brought to us as they were, amid demonstrations of war? Excuse, he added, the fears and the alarm of a people which has suffered so much in slavery. Give it grounds of confidence if you desire to terminate the calamities of San Domingo. Then, forgetting the past, we shall in security enjoy the present and the future. Struck with the wisdom and energy of this reply, Leclerc felt that it was more than ever necessary to put away all idea of slavery, which could be restored only in very different circumstances. With this view he dealt freely in protestations. The consul, he urged, could not have proposed laws for a country with which he was not acquainted, but in the name of the supreme being, the avenger of falsehood, he affirmed that the liberty of the blacks was the basis of the laws which would be passed. An interview ensued, and in reliance on the protestations and the oath of Leclerc, Christophe went over to the French with twelve hundred men, surrendering the mountains of Limbe, Port Francois, and Grand Riviere, with an immense amount of warlike stores. Christophe immediately sought an interview with Toussaint, and, among other things, remarked that Leclerc appeared very sorry at having undertaken the war, that he had done so in the persuasion that he could soon bring it to a successful termination, and that, being now disabused of that error, was desirous of concluding a peace, adding that, at the express request of the captain-general, he wished to converse with Toussaint on the subject. On his part, Toussaint complained that Christophe had listened to overtures from the enemy, contrary to military discipline, since he had no authority from his superior officer. Before leaving, Christophe put into the hands of Toussaint a letter from Leclerc. Prevented at the moment from reading the communication, Toussaint did not learn till after Christophe's departure that he had gone over to the French, 
the regret which he felt gave place to astonishment and astonishment was succeeded by indignation he sent for adjutant-general fontaine the chief of his staff and to him alone communicated the contents of the letter directing him to go to christophe and command him to repair to the headquarters at marmalade in order to explain his conduct the traitor affected compliance many of his officers on hearing of the mission of general fontaine declared that they had been misled on his return that officer reported the surrender of port francois and other places toussaint l'ouverture assembled his chief officers and announced to them the extraordinary event christophe's conduct appeared to them no less incomprehensible than blameworthy the news having spread among the people and the soldiers they burst forth in reproaches against him and by a spontaneous movement assembled around toussaint's dwelling to assure him of their fidelity and devotedness in this conjuncture the hope of an approaching peace which for a moment even toussaint had indulged vanished wholly the warlike spirit became universal together with indignation at the treachery all swore to die for their chief because in so doing they would die for liberty toussaint's orders flew on all sides in order to prevent or abate the consequences of the perfidy he still had in the west and in the north faithful battalions and devoted districts the less his resources became the more grand did his character appear had fortune then abandoned him could he no longer look to the highest of all powers whose work he had undertaken and by whose hand he had been guided and protected was his country after all to fall under the dishonorable yoke of servitude adversity crushes only ordinary men toussaint took courage even from despair shortly he learned that desalines had imitated christophe and joined the ranks of the enemy this was the second heavy blow toussaint did not so much regard the individual loss of these two leaders nor the loss of the troops they carried with them nor the loss of the lands they commanded as the loss of his own influence which must ensue and the perplexity in which he found himself as to who was and who was not trustworthy his best captains christophe desalines la plume clairvaux his two brothers his nephew were in the camp of his foes where could he be sure to find men worthy of his confidence under these circumstances it was that leclerc put every means into action in order to induce toussaint to come to an accommodation the captain-general was the more desirous of such a result because though he knew that toussaint's power was broken he knew also that the population at large were wholly alienated from his own government and might at any moment be roused to a resistance more determined and more sanguinary than what they had made already with a view to appease the hardly suppressed ill-humor leclerc had sent rigaud out of the island hoping thereby to gain some favor with the blacks the effect on the whole was inconsiderable even after their treachery the negro chiefs were idle while frenchmen were objects of indifference or detestation this contrasted feeling was observed and is spoken of by an eye-witness thus on arriving at the cape i had occasion to make very serious reflections i saw many of our general officers in full uniform pass by the inhabitants no matter what their color showed no sign of exterior deference 
Suddenly I heard a noise. It was General Dessalines. He came for the first time to pay his respects to the Captain General Leclerc. The population of both sexes and of all colors rushed to meet him. They fell down at his approach. I was saddened rather than revolted. Dark and painful ideas accompanied me to the mansion of the General-in-Chief. In the antechamber I found General de Salinet. The horror he inspired me with kept me at a distance from him. He asked who I was, and came to me, and without looking me in the face, said in a rough voice, I am General de Salinet. In bad times, General, I have heard you much spoken of. His bearing and his manners were savage. I was surprised at his words, which announced assurance rather than remorse. The barbarian must have felt himself powerful, or he would not have dared to take that attitude. Footnote. Memoir, etc. Par le Croix. Section 2. Pages 191 and 2. End of footnote. Once before had Leclerc made an attempt to bring Toussaint to treat. The attempt failed. A second effort had a different result. To Leclerc's overture, Toussaint in substance replied, I am powerful enough to burn and ravage, as well as to sell dearly a life which has not been useless to the mother country. But with bootless destruction such a mind as Toussaint's could not be satisfied. For a great object he had taken up arms. If that object could be secured by peaceful means, his duty was clear. This view, on which his own mind had for some time been dwelling, was enforced by the representations and advice of persons around him, whose fidelity and courage gave them a right to be heard. Toussaint became less indisposed to listen to terms of accommodation. Leclerc proposed, as the principal conditions of peace, to leave in Toussaint's hands the government of San Domingo, to hold by his side the office of delegate from France, and to employ Toussaint's officers according to their rank. I swear, he said, before the face of the supreme being, to respect the liberty of the people of San Domingo. Toussaint L'Overture replied, I accept everything which is favorable for the people and for the army, and for myself I wish to live in retirement. Noble Resolution Resolution worthy of all thy previous conduct, thou noble-hearted man. All for others, nothing for thyself. Yet had he now the option of retaining supreme power in the island, sanctioned and guaranteed by French authority. And out of that supreme power, were he ambitious, he might have carved a crown. But didst thou think that thy frank disinterestedness might be turned to thy own ruin? The possibility could hardly have escaped thy sagacious and foreseeing mind. Nevertheless, rather wilt thou incur any personal risk than prolong the horrors of this war, which every day becomes more fratricidal and more disastrous. As a consequence of this accommodation, an interview between Toussaint and Leclerc was agreed on. It was proposed that they should meet on a spot in the mountains of Mornay. Learning that the place had given rise to suspicions, Toussaint magnanimously resolved to repair to the Cape. His journey was a triumph. Everywhere crowds pressed and prostrated themselves before the hero. They hailed him as their friend. They hailed him as their liberator. For in their acclaim they bore in mind that the liberty for which he had fought 
was sanctioned and secured by the captain-general's solemn oath his arrival at the cape was announced by salvos from both the sea and the land forces the multitude surrounded him with demonstrations of love and veneration the mother pointed him out to her child and girls strewed his path with flowers leclerc received him in his mansion situated near the sea during the interview four hundred horsemen who had accompanied toussaint stood near drawn up in order and with bare sabres to the captain-general toussaint was no longer a fanatical slave in revolt and condemned to death nor was he an unnatural father the consul's brother-in-law took pains to laud his good faith and his magnanimity he dwelt with emphasis on the reconciliation thus ratified which would restore prosperity to the colony he repeated his oath in presence of the chiefs of the two armies general he said one cannot but praise you and admire you when one has as you have done borne the burden of the government of san domingo your presence in this city is a proof of your magnanimity and your good faith our reconciliation will make this island of which you are the restorer bloom again and will consolidate its new institutions which are the fundamental basis of the liberty and the happiness of all when the people of san domingo replied l'ouverture triumphed in a war foreign both in relation to france and to themselves they never thought that they should ever have to resist their natural protector if explanations had preceded your arrival in this island the cannon would not have been fired except to welcome the envoy of a great power and you would on reaching these shores have seen no other lights than fou de joie you knew for certain that i was at santo domingo there was still time to send me news of your mission when you were before the cape general christophe begged you to grant him delay sufficient to acquaint me with the fact that a french squadron was on our shores you might reasonably have acceded to his request instead of reducing the people to despair by your threats and exposing your army on the crater of a volcano leclerc admitted that pilots whom he had taken near the bay of samana had assured him that toussaint l'ouverture was at santo domingo but i am the brother-in-law of the first consul i am commander-in-chief of a french army and consequently in position and rank superior to general christophe and i did not think it consistent with my dignity to stop before a brigadier-general and to listen to all his allegations nevertheless rejoined toussaint you waited for four days and you will agree that some days more would not have done an injury to your honor since according to the words and the letter of your brother-in-law you are entrusted with only a pacific mission it seems to me that by patience you would have served equally france and san domingo it is true but i was not master of myself let us retain no recollection of the past all shall be repaired let us general rejoice at our union your sons the officers who have accompanied you as well as the generals and officers of my army who are here must be witnesses of our common gladness at these words the door of the hall opened and at leclerc's invitation all the persons who were in the next apartment entered and took their places in their presence the captain-general renewed his oaths during this exchange of words leclerc pressing toussaint as to the reduced condition of his resources asked him where he could have obtained arms to continue the war in a truly lacedaemonian manner 
the hero replied, I would have taken yours. Presently there entered a fine boy who leapt on the neck of Toussaint L'Ouverture. It was his youngest son. During the war he had been lost by his father and carried off by the French. Taken to the Cape, he was consigned to the care of his tutor, and now, as a touching pledge of friendship, he had been restored to his father, who was deeply affected by thus recovering his beloved child. In returning from this conference, in the details of which we learn on how insignificant causes depend peace and war with all their mighty issues, Toussaint L'Ouverture passed through the posts of the French army, in the midst of the acclamations of the soldiers, the militia, and the people, who crowded around him, and under salvos of artillery entered Marmalade, where the commander received him at the head of his own troops. The day following, he addressed the grenadiers and the dragoons of his guard. Having spoken to them of the peace, and shown them that it could not be violated except by perjury, he praised their courage, and thanked them for the love and devotedness they had displayed toward him, and solemnly declared that the recollection of their deeds would forever remain engraven on his mind. In order to testify to them his satisfaction, and at the same time take his farewell, he embraced all their officers. Those brave and hardy veterans could not restrain their tears, and the soldiers were sad and inconsolable. Toussaint then took the road for Inaret, which he had chosen for his residence. When near it, he was surrounded by crowds of people who shouted, General, have you abandoned us? No, my children, he answered. All your brethren are under arms, and the officers of all ranks retain their posts. When Toussaint L'Ouverture had fixed himself in the fertile and delightful valley of Inaret to enjoy the repose of private and domestic life, he found occupation a necessity, and employed his energy in repairing and improving the dwellings of the inhabitants, and dispensing around him other benefits. Though retired from the world, he was not forgotten. Generals and other officers of the French army and strangers from distant lands came to visit him, and were welcomed with an affability which was a part of his nature. Exempt from fear and disquietude, he lived in the bosom of his family as if he had been guarded by an army. He rode over the country and was everywhere greeted with tokens of respect. With the cessation of hostilities, bands of black troops descended from the mountains, and the two armies mingled together as brothers. Freedom rendered friends those whom slavery had made deadly enemies. The population laid down their arms to engage in the labors of the field. The dwellings which the fear of servitude had burned down rose again under the reign of liberty. With a view to confirm the peace, the captain of the expedition put into the hands of Christophe the police of the north, and into Dessalines the police of the west. The cities which had been consumed were rebuilt. Vessels soon filled the ports. Commerce began once more to flourish. Everything promised a smiling future. Songs were heard and dances were seen in the villages. The whole country offered a proof how happy this world would be but for the disturbances occasioned by human passions. End of Book 2, Chapter 7, Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.